You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Good evening and thanks for joining me, Sharon Noonan, for tonight's Best Possible Taste. Coming up this evening, I meet the owners of the first paleo restaurant in the world, Sauvage in Berlin. Indie Foods' Jonathan McDowell tells me the hardship of being its chief taster. Restaurateur extraordinaire JP McMahon tells me about Food on the Edge, a food symposium for chefs taking place in Galway this October. And Ken Mayor Foodie Karen Coakley has some news from the Kingdom. Let me tell you how to get in touch with the show. You can email me s.noonan at live.ie or send me a tweet at Queen of Org as in Queen of Organisation. My first guest tonight has appeared on the show before. Susan Boyle penned and starred in her very own one-woman show and wine was at the heart of its storyline. But you'll never guess what happened next. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Susan, you're very welcome to the show this evening. Thanks, Sharon. It's lovely to be on with you. And you've done something incredibly exciting, which I presume kind of came from your wine goose chase one woman show that you do. Tell the it listeners. Did. Sharon, it's like this kind of incredible journey that I've been on for the last year. I wrote a play and then that play got turned into a shop, uh, which I think when I sat down to write the play originally, I could never have imagined that it would have ended up being a shop, but I'm kind of very glad it did. Um, so what happened was that uh, Dublin Airport were looking for a new way of reta- retailing wine um, in a travel retail concept. So what was happening was that they felt that they weren't meeting what their customers really wanted in relation to their wine selection. And they'd heard about me and they'd heard about my show and how it tells the story of Ireland and wine. And they thought, well, wouldn't that be kind of perfect placement in the airport? Um, because the airport is all about leaving and coming and departure and arriving. Um, and the story of Ireland and wine is really about how people from Ireland were quite ingenious and um, used their skills, their merchant skills and their growing skills and just our knowledge of being farmers to grow and make wine in other places. I suppose whenever I'm in an airport and I'm mm-hmm. in the duty-free, wine is usually not very much on my radar, to be honest. Yeah, it really isn't. And this is why I think that this is quite a bra- brave move. Um, if you think of like wine travel retail, there's a couple of things that stand in its way. Um, first of all, there's just whiskey. Um, and people really associate going through airports in duty-free because you can get so much good value in whiskey. And if you think about like in world retail markets, airport sales for whiskey is the third largest market in the world, which is phenomenal. Like the first one is Japan and the next one is all of America and then there's everything that gets bought in airports so that has to demand a lot of space so to find a little niche for wine it's, it's quite a challenge but Dublin Airport were finding that when they were doing some market research and um, before they decided to do their redesign of the loop area in Terminal 1, that they found that customers really wanted wine and they wanted more wine. So that's why they decided to be brave and give a dedicated space to it. And um, they found that if this has happened in other airports, like Charles de Gaulle in Paris has a really great wine selection. There's great wine selection in um, Dubai as well. There's a couple of airports that are really forging the way in relation to how wine is being sold and the selection of wine that's there and it comes from consumer demand so if people want to buy it and you can provide lovely wine for them then you know it, it ups the sales so it works 
So there's a selection of 70 wines and they come from different countries but one thing that they all have in common is they have an Irish provenance. They do. So they all have like, what I like to say is that they have Irish roots um, because I like that analogy of, of, of wines and roots. Um, and so it either is um, an, a historical root. So you have um, names that you're synonymous with like the best vineyards of Bordeaux like the Lynches and the Bartons and they are people who left Ireland about 300 years ago um, and decided to seek their fortune in the wine trade in Bordeaux. Um, and then you have more contemporary people who have left Ireland in like the last maybe 10, 20 years and are living in the south of France planting vines or um, are making wine in the Clare Valley in Australia. So there's a real mixture. We haven't put a timeline on it. And we've just said that if you have an Irish root, um, then we'll, we'll accept you into this little club. <laughs> Absolutely. And tell me now, 70 wines, did you have the really tough job of tasting all 70 of those? (laughs) Well, I have to say, yes, I have. I've I've tasted what's there. And what's amazing about it, Sharon, is that the wines are really great. Um, I think that when you are in a situation like choosing wines for a very specific market, which is travel retail, people are either have lots of time because their planes have been delayed or they have no time at all and they need to get something quick, Um, that you have to work out what your selection is going to be. And there's so many wines out there. And I think we're so fortunate in Ireland that because we don't grow grapes commercially here and make our own wine, it means that you look at any wine list and you get wines from Chile and South Africa and Argentina and France and all over the world. So when it came to choosing wines for the airport, it's just such a lovely idea to do it with Irish wines that have an Irish connection because it makes sense in that place of departure and arrival. Um, And it's great too because it means that on on an economic scale, because wine tax in Ireland is relatively high, it's one of the highest in Europe, it means that then if you are happening to go outside the EU and you can avail of like travel um, retail incentives and you can buy it duty free, then you're you're saving a bit of money too. So it's very appealing. If somebody is running in and they want to buy a red and they want to buy a white, what are your top recommendations? Oh my goodness, there's loads. Um, And we've some really, really delicious ones. Um, There's a lovely Hunter um, um, wine that comes from New Zealand and it's really delicious and it's lovely. Um, And then I'd say like any of the lovely French ones, there's some really nice Lynches as well. If they want something really special, there's a gorgeous Dwarz, which is a really small batch and that's a real delightful like present wine. Anyone who gets that would be absolutely delighted. Um, So yeah, there's there's great stuff and I would say encourage people to browse a little bit. What I've been finding is that people arrive and they see their own names on bottles and they can't believe it. They'll pick up something and go, oh my goodness, that has like a concannon written on it. (laughs) And they have this immediate connection with it because they know someone who is a concannon who lives in like the Aran Islands. Um, And I find that really um, endearing and lovely about it because they're real people behind these bottles. It's not just something that's a figment of my imagination. It's, It's actually there Um, but it is an aspect of I think Irish history that we just don't really we haven't really embraced um, as much as I think we could so I feel like I'm on a little mission with my play and with the Wine Goose Chase shop to try and tell this story of Irish people who decided it was much nicer to be farmers where it's sunny than where it's raining and have made lovely lives for themselves and lovely wines. And is there any plans to roll it out to other airports in the country? 
Um, well, at the moment, they're looking, they're going to be doing some redesign of Terminal um, 2. So they're looking at that. It's early days yet. Um, so it's always, it's always going to be contingent on how things go. But so far, white wine sales are up 60% in the airport, um, which is pretty phenomenal in the space of just a couple of weeks. So it really means that people have a thirst for what's on offer and for what, they, what they're seeing and they're liking that and they're buying it. So, so they're very positive about that so far. But uh, as for exactly what's happening next, I just don't know. <laughs> Your one woman show that you mentioned there has been, I would imagine, a real joy for you to do because it combines your drama and theatre studies and then your your wine, your, the professional wine qualifications that you have. Yeah, Sharon, it's just been like for quite a while I had these two separate parts of, of what I was doing professionally. I was working in wine and then I was also um, doing artsy things um, because of my background in, in theatre. And it was so wonderful when the two came together. It just made sense. It, it makes, in my head, I think it makes absolute sense. The Greek god of wine and theatre was Dionysus and that's just the same person and he did both jobs. So I kind of feel I'm not saying I'm a Greek god by any stretch of the imagination. But I don't think it's that dis similar um dissimilar connection and I love the stories it's always been the stories behind the wines whenever I go to wine tastings and I get to talk to the people who make the wines and I'm just enthralled by the romance of someone who is showing a wine um, and the vines for that wine were planted by her grandfather on the day that she was born there's just these gorgeous stories and theatre and drama is all about stories as well and about communicating those stories to an audience so I find that there's an affinity and a connection and I hope other people do too One of the things that you don't like about wine is quarter bottles of wine I believe. I do yeah I went on a rant at one stage about those. It's funny because since I've been doing things in travel retail I've realised that there definitely is a place for quarter bottles (laughs) and that can be when you're waiting for a plane so I've had to change my mind about it but I think that there's a lot of wine drinkers in Ireland who are being um, disserved by um, by wine in a pub setting really and I think that maybe some publicans need to be and there's great people out there who are retailing fabulous wine I think they just need to be a little bit braver and move away from the quarter bottle selection I know it's because it's very easy I grew up in a pub myself I know that the reasons behind it are that it's very simple there's great stock control but I just think that there's so much nicer wine that's coming in full size bottles and all you need is like four people to drink it <laughs> that's, that's probably doable over the space of a night Our regular wine guru on the show here is Ron Forrestal mm-hmm. and this was something that he was talking about a few weeks ago and he actually told us that after the airline industry, Ireland is the, the biggest buyer of quarter bottles of wine but oh, yeah. he was trying to encourage people to even go for the half bottle. Yeah. <laughs> it's so true, it's just go up a little bit because it means that, well being really realistic, I like a bargain. And if you're buying a quarter bottle of wine, I can guarantee you that most of the money that you're spending on that is going either on tax or it's going on the actual bottle itself. And I would much prefer the money to be going to the people who grew the grapes or to know that the time was going into the craft of making the wine. Um, and so I just, I just find them completely uneconomical. I understand that the size and the volume is useful. But really, it just it frustrates me that people don't get that choice, um, and that they and and also that there's a little bit of fear, I think, in relation to the pub sector for retailing wines. And it really isn't that difficult to pick a good red and a good white, and maybe a rosé because the sun is shining at the moment, and it makes me think think of rosés. We've been having such a blast of good weather, um, and it shouldn't be that difficult to do and organise. 
Before you go now, you must tell us your show is still on the road and you're going to be in Ballymaloo in May. Oh, I am. I'm so excited about that. I've been invited back to perform again this year in Ballymaloo in the um, Drinks Theatre. And I performed last year and it went down a storm. And so they asked me back, Sharon, and I'm just really humbled by that. I think it's going to be great. And particularly after what's been happening in the airport and how my show has kind of taken wings um, and has reached a different audience, it's going to be really lovely to be able to bring it home and do it in Ballymaloo again. Um, so I'm really looking forward to it. That's on Saturday the 16th of May and if people want to make contact with you to avail of your services or find out what other venues the show is going to be on, they can go onto your website awinegoosechase.com Yep, absolutely. Check out my website. You'll find all my contact details and upcoming show information as well. It's a great name. I love it. Thank you. (laughs) Susan, thanks so much for talking to me this evening and all the best for the future. You're very welcome. Thanks very much, Sharon. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleinte. Great chat to Susan and so delighted for her as it just couldn't happen to a nicer person. So well done, Susan. Still to come tonight, Indie Foods, Jonathan McDowell tells me the hardship of being its chief taster. Restaurateur extraordinaire JP McMahon talks to me about the Food on the Edge, a food symposium for chefs taking place in Galway later this year. And Ken Mayor Foodie Karen Cookley has some news from the Kingdom. So as you know, recently I was in Galway and um, I had another visit then, luckily enough, for the wonderful food festival. And when I was there, I met the owners of the world's first paleo restaurant. Have a listen to my chat with Rodrigo and Boris on the banks of the beautiful Carob. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Rodrigo and Boris, it's very nice to meet you. Two very innovative guys, I would say, because you've opened the world's first paleo restaurant in Berlin. Yes. Just explain to the listeners what paleo is. Um, well, paleo is actually a very modern um, uh, food way of eating and, and lifestyle. It's part of a whole lifestyle where we do not try to mimic how our ancestors lived or ate, but we try to um, combine a diet and a lifestyle with modern foods and uh, modern ways of living, but uh, with a perspective on our evolution as humans. Uh, So we learn from our evolution that by living in a certain way, eating in a certain way, we are capable of healing our bodies or having an optimal health. Um, And that does not really correspond with our modern day life or uh, the way we eat right now. Uh, There is a certain way that nature intended us to eat and uh, more and more we get uh, way far from from these ways of eating and, and of living. So for, for millions of years we were hunter-gatherers, that means that we did not eat any products that came from agriculture and now they have become the basis of our diet and we have seen a lot of modern diseases uh, coming from that. So we actually only work with foods that nature provides in the sense of wild uh, or free-range uh, meats uh, and fish and vegetables and fruits that are from organic producing as much as possible wild also if it still exists. And uh, we do not use any grains or milk products or vegetable oils. Uh, and work a lot with fermentation which then completes the the, uh, bacterial intake which we would have naturally had as well if we would have still eaten from nature. 
Is this a way of eating that you adopted in your lives before you actually opened the restaurant? About a year before we opened the restaurant, yeah. I would say, yes. Um, to us, it changed our life completely because we, uh, we've, we've noticed what a good effect it has on the body. And I personally have uh, suffered a lot of uh, problems health-wise uh, my whole life and I could never find a solution for it. And by changing the diet um, and adhering to a paleo lifestyle as such, uh, I've noticed the disappearance of, of asthma, eczema uh, and then a number of uh, issues that everyone actually suffers from on an everyday basis such as fatigue or brain fog uh, or joint pains headaches and such uh, have all disappeared neither of you are tree and chefs is that correct right but you just had a love of cooking and you must have had a flair for cooking if you can call it cooking that's true and it became more um the, this, this love for, for cooking became even more enhanced once we started cooking uh, paleo because it uh, posed to us a challenge of uh, finding new ways of preparing the food and new ways of, um, of, of eating. So uh, it, uh, yeah, it became, suddenly it became even more interesting to, to cook because we had a, a different approach to, to what are we cooking and what's mm -hmm. in our plate. But I think the biggest love we share is the love for um, eating much more True. than the love for cooking. <laughs> and uh, the magical thing about uh, what we do is that you can uh, eat with so much flavor and enjoy your food so much uh, without any of the, the negative consequences that you often have uh, when you enjoy more traditional uh, or, or, uh, foods. Um, so it doesn't compromise your body. So you can feast and still thrive. It's, uh, that's an amazing thing. If somebody was to travel to Berlin and to visit Sauvage there, your restaurant there, what sort of things can they expect to see on the menu? We cook, well, um, our signature dish is a grass-fed beef. Um, the, it's local and it's prepared with, uh, normally with um, uh, yucca root puree and licorice uh, gravy. Um, but we also cook a lot with... Um, uh, nose-to-tail uh, nose style, so we, we use uh, hearts and kidneys and uh, brains, we make brains uh, nuggets that are really tasty. Um, everything we do as much as possible is homemade, so our mayonnaise is homemade um, and uh, we homes, uh, smoke sometimes uh, meats and vegetables, we play a lot in the kitchen to be um, a, a sort of fusion kitchen uh, that fits into our gui guidelines. So our customer can definitely expect some strange things sometimes and we like to experiment with, uh, with, with things that people are not used to. Uh, we like use it of organ meats and that's uh, of course a, a sustainable uh, principle. Um, also because not only for the respect for the animal and using the whole animal, uh, but also for the health benefits that it poses. Yeah. And in, uh, intestines have a lot stronger uh, nutrient balance, uh, a lot more to offer than uh, muscle meat, for example. So you can find some of the stranger cuts on our menu, such as uh, lamb balls um, or, or, uh, or lungs and so ox on, tail. brain, ox tail. Yeah. Um, and so we do the same with vegetables. Yeah? We try to cook the root to stalk, also use the whole plant, and then a lot of yeah, stranger uh, recipes come out of that uh, but you also have like the, the more accessible things so it's not uh, it's not just a freak show uh, definitely not but we do like to educate our, our, our guests uh, and let them uh, try out some of some things that they probably never heard of before well speaking of education you're here at the Galway festival you've been doing a demo about fermentation which is at the heart very much of paleo diets yes, yes. 
and you made a lovely pineapple beer. Tell me how you made that. Um, well, the pineapple beer is uh, a, a traditional drink from my from my land. Yeah, I'm Brazilian, and there it's called alua. So it's a it's a traditional. It's a traditional beverage, and I started doing it in the restaurant because I think it totally fits what we do. So there must be very little waste then, because to make that beer, you actually use the skin of the pineapple, and then you'd use the actual inside part yes. of the pineapple for a dessert. Yes, uh, one of the points in our restaurant is that because we use we use fermentation, uh, we uh, that's also a way we we can reduce our waste. So I, I'm always using peelings of vegetables, for example, and I, with that I make a liquid umami salt to flavor the, the, the main dishes. And with the fruit peels, for example, uh, citrus fruits, I ferment them in honey and I uh, make them like a raw, um, confited citrus fruit that it's delicious, but it takes a year to be ready. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a very exciting way of, of uh, approaching foods, not only for its flavor, and, and but also for the, the the waste that you keep uh, that you keep from doing so yeah sustainability and uh, the avoidance of waste now has become like more of a, an idea or a principle uh, but in fact if you if you think about it from an evolutionary point of view there would never have been waste as such if you cook everything was food and that's also how we evolved I mean as primates we would have we ate bark from the trees we dug up roots um, and ate the peels of course and we, that's also what we need yeah we needed these uh, provide pro prebiotic fiber for example uh, a lot of resistant starch is, uh, is gained from it which are all nutrients that we need for a healthy microbiome and in the end for a healthy metabolism and that's how we evolved to eat as well so now it became like a modern principle yeah, to um, be aware of the ecological footprint and so you want to produce less waste but in fact eating according to the needs of your body automatically reduces all the waste because you don't have any waste if you eat the way you're supposed to eat. I would say that down to the root paleo is a way of connecting to your animal side. Us human beings are we are also animals but um, in our modern world, we are more and more far away from this idea. We don't listen to our bodies anymore. And yeah, so paleo is it's a, uh, a way, in, as a lifestyle, is a way of connecting to your animal side. You have a book with all your recipes in it. It's only available in German at the moment. But any plans to translate it? Oh, definitely. Uh, we're uh, negotiating for the, uh, at the moment uh, with, uh, with um, uh, international publishing houses to, to have it translated and put in the market in different languages. Well, you must let us know whenever that is available. In the meantime, just give the listeners your website address because I'm sure there's some interesting information and recipes there. Absolutely. Uh, that is very simple. The name of the restaurant is Sauvage and we are um, located in Berlin so the website is sauvageberlin.com Rodrigo Boris thanks very much for talking to me thank you you're listening to the best possible taste on West Limerick 102 FM Welcome back to tonight's Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan. If you've just joined us, I was talking to Rodrigo and Boris about paleo fermentation and lots more. And at the start of the show, Susan Boyle was on the phone telling us how her wine gustia show has been turned into a shop at Dublin Airport. Who would have guessed it? Never fear if you've missed some of the show as it will be up on the Best Possible Taste podcast later in the week along with all the previous shows and you'll find the podcast on soundcloud.com just do a search for Food and Drink Show. 
Still to come tonight, restaurateur extraordinaire JP McMahon tells me about Food on the Edge, a food symposium for chefs. And I should say that JP is a chef himself, but he owns lots of restaurants. And Ken Mayer Foodie, Karen Cookley, has some news from the kingdom. Next, I'm returning to the phone to put a call into Northern Ireland to a company that is making it possible for you to buy those items you can usually only get at the local market, but now you can get them online. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleiter. Johnny, you're very welcome to the show this evening. Thanks very much, Sharon. Pleasure to be on here. And you're going to tell me about your company, which is a very new company. It's only going since December last year, and it's called Indie Food. Am I saying that correctly? You are indeed. You are indeed, Sharon. Indie Food. Yeah, we're an we're a online uh, company, uh, an independent online food company uh, based up in Belfast in Northern Ireland, uh, basically specialising in uh, Irish uh, artisan or small batch foodstuffs um, that are available then to buy through the store um, or through the online facility. Why did you decide to start up a business of this nature? I think we looked at the, um, the marketplace itself. Uh, myself and Maggie had always been keen food people and we had always uh, travelled on you know, holidays and you know, personal visits throughout Ireland to market stalls and we were always quite frustrated at not being able to get um, some of those goods uh, read- readily available and I suppose with the uplift in online shopping these days um, we saw a bit of a, a gap there in the market and decided to explore it. Uh, we also spoke with a lot of the artisans when we were formulating the business and looked how they were doing their own online shops and thought it was somewhere that we could come in and step in and, and help and help them um, drive their sales through another another channel. So you did spend quite a lot of time. You spent about two years, was it, doing research? I did. Yeah, I was uh, I was off my feet for a few years uh, with illness. So during that time, it was really a case of uh, looking at sort of uh, at our passion, what we what we really were interested in, what we really wanted to do. So um, once we had um, sort of thought of the you know thought of the business plan of the case then of um, spending the time um, uh, traveling a bit more and speaking with some of the artisans throughout Ireland about uh, about the business and really seeing how it could work for them and us give me a few examples of some of the products that people can buy through your website yeah we've got a good range of uh, ambient products on there um, you know everything from uh, we've got some beautiful Argentinian slash Irish Dolce de Leche from Ballysheelan County Offaly and uh, we've got some delicious forage balsamic vinegar uh, from Wildwood up in North Mayo right in our doorstep here we've got some lovely crushed maple and almond nut butters from Keen Nutrition and then we've also got um, some lovely sort of micro roasted coffee uh, by the Two Spots guys down in down in Dublin, so there's a great range there, uh, larder essentials, um, jams and jars, big products, um, everything really that uh, a good cook could want. If I go onto your website then and I want to buy half a dozen different things, are they all coming from you in Belfast or are they coming from the different producers? They're all coming from ourselves, yes, you can, um, both on our on our shop online, you can you can shop so you can go in and fill a basket uh, full of Irish goods or you can 
um, gift. You know, we have some uh, pre-made gift options on there, and we also have uh, some subscription options as well. And some of the subscription options, they will be sort of regular supplies, and maybe if they're the likes of cheese or meat, and they'll come directly from the artisans themselves. So that's if you want to set up to have a weekly, monthly delivery of of one particular item? It is. For example, we have both cheese and meat subscriptions on there, which you can select to have either monthly or quarterly over uh, so many periods, whether it be three months, six months or over a year. And they'll come directly from the producer themselves. Does that mean you have to carry an awful lot of stock there up in Belfast? Yeah, we carry a good range of stock. We have somewhere around um, 250 items on there, um, but we are carrying only ambient items. Um, and we, we, we carry, we don't carry heavy numbers. We work closely with the artisans to, show, to ensure that we get that right. How do you feel it's going since you're, you're fairly new, newly opened? How happy are you with the progress to date? Yeah, it's been going great, Sharon. Um, we started, as I said, in, uh, in December uh, last year. Uh, we had a lovely feature uh, in the Irish Times at Christmas by Marie Claire Digby, and it uh, you know gave us a real uh, lift. Uh, both both and uh, it was lovely for a confidence perspective and to to show that somebody had uh, you know seen and appreciated what we had done, but also then from a, a consumer perspective. So we've done uh, some great sales over over Christmas time, and things have been great since. It's just about building the awareness and, and building that up. Uh, recently then we've sort of got on the road a little bit and been sort of out and about um, you know visiting uh, various markets and talking with uh, different people uh, and yeah just just building the the brand awareness when you go to a market then do you go with some stock and plus then you let people know look you know you're buying this today but you can also buy it at a later date and we'll get it to you yeah, absolutely. We sort of, um, with regards to our, <clears throat> with with regards to our offering, if we ever do appear at a market, do we try and uh, we, we speak with the, the the market first of all, and just look at the gaps that might be there, and, and try and say, look, these are the great products from right around these these islands, and these are what you can have today. So, for example, a lot of markets you'll have traditionally maybe your uh, your jams, your chutneys, your baked goods, your cheese, but there mightn't be balsamic vinegars there, there mightn't be uh, West Coast sea salt, um, there mightn't be County Clare's, you know, uh, Delisk sprinkles. Um, those, so those are the type of products that people are interested in that we can sort of, we can bring to the table. And then, yes, we, we try to, when we're there also, we try and raise the awareness off our website and try and encourage people if they want to come back again for something else that they can order in online through us. Where would you like to see the company going over the next couple of years? Well, I think for us, it's, 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 it depends on the it, it depends on the artisan market or the the independent market. You know, we're happy to grow at a a nice uh, steady pace with everybody else. You know, taking it slowly and uh, just raising the awareness of how great this food is and uh, how great these makers are. That's that's what we're there to shout about. We really are the custodians of their food, so. Um, we're very much it's in the name we are independent and that's what we you know we like to be we don't want to be competing with the, the big brands out there or any of the sort of the big supermarkets you know we're really interested in the, the craft of these products and the, and the artisans themselves so you know we're keen to you know just do it for the passion of, of what it is and that's what we enjoy and I saw now in one of the emails I got from you you had down chief taster that must be a tough job 
it's a really tough job, Sharon. Uh, yeah, we're we're in a lucky position now, I, I guess, because we, you know, we have, we have built the business, and now people are starting to come to us and saying, "Do you fancy taking our goods on?" And would you like to send us a little sample? So yeah, we, we you know we love you know we we have our tasting Tuesdays, and we love to you know try the products out on Tuesday. But you know we make sure we make use of them. We'll we make sure they go up on social media and you know anything that we do open that we you know we're using it for the photography purposes for the website and when we are taking it on. So you know every bit of food does count. We're we're conscious of that. So. Uh, this week, for example, we had some uh, lovely marshmallows arrived in, fresh marshmallows actually, arrived in from Malomia in Donegal, um, lemon rind flavour and uh, black uh, uh, raspberry ripple flavour, so we were tasting those and they were absolutely delicious. And we also had some lovely malted chocolate sauce and coffee caramel sauce in from Brambleberry uh, jams and Lisburn to taste. So uh, we had a very sweet week or a sweet Tuesday, uh, but uh, it was very enjoyable. Now tell me your top three products that you sell. Your top three personal favourites. My top three personal Oh, it's so hard to choose. It really is, Sharon. You really put me on the spot. Um, I think ones that I really, at the moment I'm, very into the very into my balsamics. I've mentioned it before, and um, Vinton Gogarty's uh, wild blackberry um, balsamic vinegar from North Mayo would definitely be up there. And what do you use it for? Is it for salads, or do you put very it in a little so, glass yeah, of prosecco? Beautiful, beautiful in salads, and it's also a, it's also great for just um, you know picking up even bits of those pan juices at the end. You know, maybe with a bit of lamb or a bit of venison. And the sort of the, the little bit of sharpness and syrupiness of the vinegar really comes through uh, just in the end. So it's a great product. Um, what else? Number I think um, I've got a big spoon in there at the minute in some almond crunchy maple nut butter uh, from King Nutrition. That's just come onto the website. Um, that's a real beauty. So if you're not using it on the spoon, it's just delicious and some nice hot toast um, could even be varied up into maybe a, some type of satay dish which I haven't tried yet but you know could maybe to be developed. That sounds like a great idea <laughs> and last but not least is probably my Ackle Island sea salt, I'm a real sucker for sea salt, really good sea salt whenever I have been on my travels around the world and in all those years before, I used to always take a little pack of sea salt with me. And in those days, it was, well, it was Malden sea salt, salt. But now that I found Ackle Island sea salt, um, I, I won't go back. It's a, it's a truly rare find and a thing of beauty. Well, sounds like three great products out of the 300 plus that you have on the website there. Just tell everybody the web address so that they can go on and buy at their leisure. Yeah, we can be found at indiefood.com. And so just to clarify the name, that's I-N-D-I-E-F-U-D-E. So indie that we're really trying to shout about, indigenous and independent. And I suppose uh, it's got some uh, connotations, you know, to you know the likes of indie cinema movement, indie music. You know, we really see the you know the word indie coming forward um, into the the food scene in the next few years. You know, it certainly has been going that way. Um, across in America so it's maybe something we'll see a bit more of here 
and the food, the FUD, I suppose again that came from a bit of a, you know, looking at the, the food trend and, you know, the, the rise of what they call dude food and sort of using that word uh, food spelled F-U-D in a, in a different way. Well, all the best with it, Johnny. It's been super to talk to you and I hope it goes from strength to strength. Thank you, Sharon. Thanks very much for your time and lovely to talk to you. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and time is marching on tonight, so I'm going to introduce my next guest straight away. JP McMahon is everywhere at the moment, literally. I bumped into him at the Food for Thought event in Tralee, mainly to ask him about the Food on the Edge symposium he's heading up in October in Galway, but sure, there were so many other things to talk about. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. JP, you're here today to give a workshop on fermentation. Just explain what that is. Um, fermentation is a really, I suppose, ancient process of um, of preserving vegetables and preserving meat and fish as well, but primarily vegetables. Um, and I suppose it's something that's uh, back in fashion now. It's quite, I suppose, it's quite trendy. You see it in a lot of different menus and that. But it's, uh, I suppose, in its in and of itself, it's a process that's like thousands of years old and. Essentially, it's the application of um, of salt to vegetables, um, with with water, and um, you um, I suppose harbor natural wild yeast for to stop them spoiling, and it's a very simple process. Um, a lot of people are a bit wary of it because the you never put them in the fridge. Um, it does have a quite sour and um, strong taste, but um, it's a very very interesting process because it's very organic. Once you start it, the flavors change. Um, uh, from the moment you begin it to the whether it's the days or weeks um, uh, or months ahead. So today in the, the workshop we did earlier, we had them tasting cucumber I fermented three days ago and uh, peas that we fermented last July in the pea season. So just to give them, I suppose, a, a little taste of um, something different, but also it's 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 a way of making um, creating very very unique tastes because I suppose each chef starts out with the same peas. Um, and then depending on what you do with them but if you want to preserve your peas for a later date and use them out of season or use them the following season um, depending on what um, what way you ferment them can give you a very you can give them a very very distinct taste and I suppose what we were looking at as well was with them making fermented butter and cheese and how I suppose with um, the homogenization of, of, of so many different products that all the butter tastes the same and all the cheese tastes the same and um, you really have to look to those artisan makers but just yourself as well that it's it's very very simple process to make um, a little bit of fermented butter a little bit of fermented cheese it only takes like a day um, and you can get your own butter that has a really really unique taste so does it preserve food in the same way that pickling might yeah pickling a lot of people call fermentation pickling without vinegar and so to to ferment something, you need um, salt and uh, and water, like a brine. Um, and um, when you pickle something, you need vinegar. So it's the acid in the vinegar that stops the food from spoiling. But when you ferment something, you produce lactic acid. So essentially, both of them are um, methods of preservation that um, that produce acid, and it's the acid that stops the food going off. You are incredibly busy all around the country doing demos like this. You have three businesses in Galway. 
you're doing a PhD. I have two children and a wife. Yeah, two uh, children and a wife. Very important yeah, part of your life. Absolutely. And you're doing the Killarney Festival as well. That's, I saw yeah. you joining that. And you actually were also in my dreams last night. That's okay. how much you are ever. Nothing untoward, I might oh, add. That's okay. But you have a huge project, which I feel is probably very personal to you. And that's in October. And it's called Food on the Edge. Yes. Um... I, I suppose I've taken part in similar projects around the world, like with Cook It Raw and um, and Terroir in Canada, where a, a bunch of chefs came together and um, talked and uh, discussed, uh, networked. And I suppose over the last few years, um, I thought there's no reason why we couldn't do this in Ireland. And then because I'm up in Galway. Um, so I decided just to start emailing and tweeting um, various famous chefs and um uh, some of them I knew personally from um, from Cook It Raw, like Albert Adria, and um, um, and yeah, many of them said no, but many many of them said yes, and so there's about forty or fifty uh, internationally recognised chefs um, coming to Galway in October to for a two day symposium to talk about uh, to talk about food. Is it very much a chef-focused event? It's a three days in the middle of the week, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and the symposium on a Monday and Tuesday. Like even though it's chefs, uh, it, it, I suppose it is targeted as at industry professionals, but also like people who love food. So like I mean, it's very very hard to separate industry professionals and, and what you call foodies because a lot of them are, are are sometimes in the industry, but not necessarily in in the in the centre of it. Um, so I do think anyone who like um, who enjoys, I suppose, watching cooking programs as well is going to going to get a lot from it um, because these guys are um, are suppose that for me they're at the, the top of their game and there's an awful lot we can we can learn from them um, and I do think I, I hope it'll be um, like a benchmark for for young Irish chefs as well. We have two young Irish chefs um, taking part. One Mark Moriarty who won them. Uh, Euro talk. Yeah, but he Euro also talk. came. He also won his heat in San Pellegrino. Yeah. So I know Mark, and I think it's really nice to have someone of Mark's age to be talking as well, because I think it's really important that you have um, figures that um, younger chefs can aspire to, and also older figures. But but I think it's 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 a really good benchmark, and 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 not even though many of the chefs coming over have like one, two, and three Michelin stars. It's it's not it's not it's not about that. It's more about. Um, producing like really good food whether it's street food or a cafe food it's just about making better food and if if we can I suppose as a country can learn how to do that I think we all benefit when you come to Killarney now in June what can we expect oh god I don't know um, I haven't even thought of that yet Um I know I'm doing a demonstration but uh I do not know what I'm what I'm what I'm cooking yet but I mean all of all the demonstrations I do I think um I always want to um, um, inspire people to cook. So, I mean, it, they're always for everyone. I don't. I don't think. I don't believe there's people that can't cook. I just think there's they're, they they haven't either been shown right or they haven't. I suppose. Um, um, I, I suppose worked at it worked at it enough. And it's uh, for me. It's cooking. It's not a very um, complicated pro, uh, process, and it's something that's that we all should be able to do. And I mean, I thought myself to cook and. Um, um, I suppose I worked in restaurants and that, but I never formally went to um, to chef college. But I do think that the that um, getting people to cook better with with um, with good food is is um, is, is probably um, what I what I try and do. So you don't think it's a gift then? I don't think so. No, I think um, I was a slow, a very slow um, starter. So um, 
I think I only only seriously I was cooking since I was 15 on and off but I went back to college as a mature student and studied English and art history and I thought that I wouldn't um, I wouldn't I suppose really cook professionally anymore I kept cooking on the weekends but um, I kept getting drawn back into the kitchen and but I, I think it's um, it's like commitment I, I don't think it's um, I mean I think I have a creative flair for um, for cooking but it's also a, a kind of in, an interest as well so it's not I, I do think that um, that anyone can um, that anyone can uh, can try their hand at cooking well you said there about being drawn back into the kitchen you've three kitchens to choose from uh, now in Galway tell us about each restaurant and the style of oh, food they keep, in each they one keep, they, keep, they keep me busy um, the, like all the three restaurants have the same produce so like that's the the, 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 the overarching, overarching emphasis is that they all have to share a kind of similar philosophy at, at the root and then Anir is I suppose our our flagship restaurant has, has a Michelin star for the last three years and um, it because it looks into I suppose our own terroir and tries to use things that um, that are only from Ireland so we don't use chocolate we don't use lemons we don't use black pepper so um, in the cooking process and these are things that are used in our other restaurants it's just that in and near we wanted to try and see what it would look like to to create a kind of um, an Irish cuisine based on Irish produce alone and it's a very very interesting uh, project it's a very very small restaurant it's only 30 seater 30 seater restaurant um, it has no tablecloth even though you suppose you have to call it fine dining it has tasting menus and that but I mean essentially it's 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 a it's I'd like to kind of think of people having experience going there and um, and dining um, our other restaurant our other two is Cava is our tapas bar it's probably our busiest restaurant as well um, so Cava is probably like the mother, the mother of the three restaurants, um, and I mean Cava is, I suppose, very, very popular with um, in Galway and and, and Nashville as well with tapas, and um, it's, I mean, I love Spanish food and I love mixing Spanish and Irish um, produce and cuisine, and we use an awful lot of Irish um, produce to produce the Spanish food, and I, I, I suppose I, I looked into this in the um, in the book I wrote recently on for for Cava. Um, and then lastly we have Eat which is a gastropub and we opened Eat um, after a year I suppose for me I suppose a certain restlessness that I wanted to explore pub uh, food and I think pub food is very underrepresented in Ireland it often gets a kind of short stick and I thought like well we take the best possible produce and if we make our own chips and we make um, our own sauces like um, can we succeed like it's 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 more difficult because you end up uh, costing you more but I mean we're there three years now and we're still ticking along and um, and, uh, and and enjoying it and I, I mean, I, I enjoy the restaurants myself even when, I, when, I, when I'm eating in them and I suppose that's that's a good Good sign. I mean that we've two kids, and I like bringing them to the restaurants and showing them. Um, because again, it has to be for the. Um, I mean, restaurants gotta have to be for kids as well. And I mean, we never have any problem with people bringing kids into an ear if they like the food. Um, and we have had um, some very, very precocious five or six-year-olds having tasted menus um, in in an ear. Um, but a lot of, I think they're far ahead of me. But um, they, I, I, I'd agree with that. Uh, but that's super to see. No, that. it's you really must... nice. It's really nice. I, I, it's, it's really nice when I think it's great when someone, when parents bring like a, an eight-year-old into an ear and they they sit there and they and they enjoy the experience of um, uh, of uh, of eating. Um, and the same with cava and the same with with eat. It's nice to have kids around, like wholesome food. I know wholesome gets a kind of like 
sometimes it's kind of stymied but like it is really when you start off with really good produce and you make it yourself whether it's a chip or whether it's a, a pizza or no matter what it is um i mean a lot of these foods get turned into junk food because of the process of them but in and of themselves like a chip and a pizza is not bad it's the it's the over over manufacturing of it that, that makes it bad so it's really good to have um, kids in the restaurant to show them oh this is how we make it and you make it from from flour and you make it from water and they can see that process so they can I suppose appreciate food and you also have then the boutique cookery school oh, in, in the I nearly forgot I on Sundays and, and Sundays and Mondays we started that because um, like the restaurant was closed for two days and we did cooking classes in Cava and it, I suppose it was a way of um, bringing in um, and like a um, additional income that that that, that Anir that Anir needs. Um, I suppose because of the way Anir is, a, a lot of people see it as um, a bit. I wouldn't say elitist, but they they like they're a bit wary before they go in there. And when they go in there, they realise everything is the same and it's just a nice restaurant. Um, our, our menu is written in a very very minimal way, so it's like, we literally just list the ingredients, so we don't tell people how they're cooked, and it puts off certain people. So one of the reasons why we started the cooking classes was to bring people into the kitchen and to show them what we do there and then for them to realize oh god like it's just really good cooking at a, at a, at a really high level so it's it's really nice because i get to teach people and at the same time we get to um we get to show people what the restaurant is like so the cooking classes are kind of themed and we all cook whether it's during the day or in the evening classes and then we sit down and we eat it all and have a glass of wine so it's a nice kind of um communal atmosphere and i think it helps people um it helps people understand the restaurant and if people want to find out more what's the best website for them to go to god i suppose they can i mean the eat galway is is the is the the brand the i suppose the overarching website eatgalway.e but a near Cava or Eat all have separate websites, and they can they can find them very very easily on um, on Google and just uh, information there. And Anir is A N I A R. It is Anir restaurant, and it means from the west. Even though I'm not an Irish speaker myself, I get in trouble sometimes because you get a lot of Gaelgors in the restaurant looking for an Irish speaker, and uh, we don't have any. At the, my father speaks Irish, but um, we don't have any at the moment. So we have to send him on the TG car or something like that when they're looking for an Irish speaker. You rebelled against him oh, by the signs I, of it. Yeah, yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Well, I, I mean, he was a physics teacher, a lecturer in college, so I'm uh, I'm still trying to finish a PhD, so I haven't rebelled um, rebelled that much, but. I'll, I'll keep on trying. Well, good luck with your very busy lifestyle, and uh, we must talk again before October to find out about food on the edge again. Absolutely. Thanks very much. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleiter. Thanks to JP and I look forward to reporting more about Food on the Edge nearer the time. And speaking of reports, it's time for a quick one from Kenmare foodie, Karen Coakley. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Karen, you're welcome to the programme this evening. Hi Sharon, thank you. And you're going to talk this evening about the top five restaurants on the Ring of Kerry published by the Condé Nast. I think I'm saying it correctly, but we'll not I dwell on it. <laughs> I think you are, no. We, we'll skip ahead from that one, Condé Nast, yeah. There was big excitement in Khmer's Condé Nast revealed the top five places to eat on the Ring of Kerry. And Condé Nast is very prestigious, so for these restaurants to be there, it is a big thing. And it's coming into tourist season. Everything is just starting to open up here. There's a big buzz around Kerry and that. So it's a good one. So there was Packies in Khmer, which, of course, I'm living in Khmer, so be very familiar with Packies and Martin fantastic food um it's 
been it's been there for years. It's an institution in Khmer at this stage. So big shout out to that one. The other one then is Avoca up at Miles Gap. Um, Avoca is Avoca. That's almost an Irish institution, and I think we're so very lucky to have an Avoca down here in Kerry. And then, as I always say, I have a friend from America who used to come for years, and she always used to sit in America dreaming of being in Ireland and having Rupert Crumble and Avoca and overlooking that view. And where else? I think that's what they say in Condé Nast. Where else can you get such fabulous cakes and sit and look at the highest mountain in all of Kerry and down into the Black Valley? And of course, we have to yeah. say now that Derek McMahon, who has been on the show before, is the, the head chef there. We do, yeah. Derek is the head chef there. I think this is Derek's fifth season opening up there. So um, just a big three cheers for Derek and all the team there. And my son actually was in the kitchen last year helping out with Derek last summer. So, And I know he worked really hard, as they all do. I mean, it's, they're in there early in the morning getting ready and they have like queues out the door in summer. So it's a fantastic one. Really, really special place. Then there's QCs in Cas- in Cahazavim. This is on my to-get-to list. I was even talking to my husband about it yesterday because they have two other restaurants. They have um, Quinlan's Seafood Bar in Killarney and Tralee. Now, we're huge fans. We ran the Tralee Half Marathon the day after we are in Killarney and we just need something really nice to eat after running. You know, the way you've burned a load of energy and you're just starving the next day. So we went into Quinlan's and we had the most fabulous fish inside there and um, what I had was fish and chips so I had jingle bay prawns there this most beautiful batter fresh home cut chips homemade tartar sauce and that's what they're doing in Killarney and I'm hearing so much about QC's down at Carasavine and it's on this list so in the next few weeks we're planning to go down there hit that on a day out with the kids the other one then is Dine in Killarney another place that I'm dying to try I've been hearing loads about it they got a really good write up there for their brunch I think is what they were saying is really good and their huevos rancheros which is a Mexican breakfast with eggs and spicy tomatoes. And then the fifth place is in Kilorglen. You'll have to remind me of the name of that, Sharon, again. Giovanelli. Giovanelli. Um, and Kilorglen actually has a lot of really good places to eat. It's one of those places I think it's well worth taking a trip to. Um, I'm hearing loads of stuff coming out of Kilorglen as well for good food. Okay, well, that's great, Karen. Thanks so much for sharing that with us, and we look forward to having you on the programme again soon. Thank you, Sharon. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleiter. Now, that brings us to the end of this evening's show. Thanks for listening tonight, and thanks to my guests, Susan Boyle, Rodrigo, and Boris Light. Also, hope I'm saying that right, Jonathan McDowell, JP McMahon and Karen Coakley. So until next week when restaurant reviewer Rachel Keeley will return, bon appétit. Do you want to get in touch with the best possible taste? Do you want to come on, share a recipe, review a cookery book or just have a general chat about what you like to eat and drink? All you have to do is get in touch with me, Sharon Noonan, by sending an email to s dot noonan at live dot ie or send me a tweet at Queen of Org. Bon appétit.